Uh, the other thing that I realized when I uh, printed this last night, I didn't print a prayer in here. And uh, I've done that through the whole thing, some form of a, of a psalm or, uh, or a prayer. That it was not intentional. Uh, I'll get back to that. I just had a mental moment. Welcome to the club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I might be the president these days. So um, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you uh, for the opportunity to hear your word and uh, to think about what you have said to us uh, through your apostles uh, who learned it from Jesus himself, who is the word. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless our conversation today and that you would lead us and guide us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Uh, so we are on Romans 6. Verse, I got the wrong verses on there. It should be 19. Uh, and hopefully we'll get into, um, uh, uh, get through 23, but, but we'll see. But I wanted to start with verse 19 itself. It says, I am, Paul writes, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So we, we've been having this, this discussion where it kind of goes, um, you know, you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. And, and Paul is painting this, this picture of, you know, there's something that's going to be controlling our lives. And, uh, and here in verse 19, he says something interesting. Um, the way that English Standard Version translated is, I am speaking in human terms. Um, a, a rougher translation would just be, um, I am speaking humanly. Um, I'm speaking in human terms. I'm, I'm talking about this uh, in a way using earthly things to explain eternal truth. And when I read that, um, I thought of Jesus in the parables. You know, because he uses all these earthly images to help, you know, to, to proclaim the kingdom of God and, and to talk about it. But there's a little bit of a difference. Paul is flat out saying, I'm trying to help you to understand this. I'm speaking humanly. I, I want you to understand this. But um, Jesus says something different about the parables. And, and maybe you remember this, but in Matthew 13, he, he says this. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing... They do not see, and hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. Grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes, have been, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hearts, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The parables are actually kind of an act of division. It's speaking about things in a way that does allow people to receive it by faith. But it also, if you don't have that faith, it kind of obscures what Jesus is talking about. He could be just telling a good story. 
And sometimes people treat them that way as just a message of some kind of morality or some kind of teaching about life. You know, I mean, take the parable of the sower for a moment. That's Matthew 13. Uh, earlier on, he talks about there's a sower who goes out and he's broadcasting the, the seed. Some of it lands on the road. Some of it lands in rocky soil. Some of it lands among thorns. And some of it lands in a good field where it produces a crop 30, 60, 100 fold. From an earthly point of view, could that just be a story about go about your work and put your work where you're going to get the, the most return on investment, so to speak? Yeah. But it's not until after Jesus sits down and talks with the disciples after he says this that we understand that what he's talking about is the word of God going out and understanding that some people are like the road and that that seed doesn't find a place in them. And some people are like the rocky soil where it's like the, the seed sprouts up really quick, but it, it just fades because it has no depth of root. Others, among the thorns, they get choked out. We have the, the deceits and the troubles of this world. And yet others receive it. You know, and it, it produces a harvest. So, if you were the sower, what should you do? Keep sowing the seed. And, you know, leave the results to God, but just keep sowing the seed and recognize that sometimes people will receive it and it's great. And other times, they don't. And sometimes they do for a season. You know, I sometimes think about that, uh, that parable in our parking lot. If you look out back by where, you know, Becca and I uh, park, the concrete back there is cracked and there's all kinds of grass that's come up through there. And if it's left alone, it will continue to come up through there and continue to kind of tear that concrete apart. And given enough time, that will be just kind of a gravelly patch, right? That's kind of what we're seeing in, in uh, uh, the, the images that come from out of Chernobyl, where uh, there was that radioactive, you know, nature has completely taken over again. I mean, yeah, the animals glow in the dark, but I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> um, so keep casting the seed. Because maybe once before it got in and it created a crack and maybe it blossomed for a moment and died off, but maybe this time it finds better soil uh, in that same crack that, that uh, was there before. So be the sower and just you know, keep going, keep going. Jesus speaks these parables in a way that um, you know, they're difficult for people to understand. They need interpretation. They need the Holy Spirit to open their eyes, to open their ears. Now, Paul's writing to Christians. They have the Holy Spirit. Their eyes and their ears have been opened. And so he says he's using earthly imagery to help us to understand. You are people who have the Holy Spirit. He's using this imagery to help us to understand. And, and so what does he want to understand? He, he, well, he wants us to understand that there are, are natural limitations. Or if you go back to the, the original, he says, I'm doing it this way because of the weakness of your flesh. 
it's not just that there's a limitation. Um, the, the word that's there, it can mean weakness, it can mean sickness, it can mean disease. He says, I'm explaining it in an earthly way because you're a sinner. And sometimes we gotta grab what we know to explain things that we don't. And there's, uh, there's something about our sinful condition that leaves us unable to receive God's word. And, and part of what is going on with our sinful condition that keeps us from receiving God's word is revealed to us in Ephesians 2, verse 1. It's one of my favorite passages. I, I quote it a lot. Does anybody remember what it says? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Um, if you're dead, do you listen well? You might not talk back, but uh, you're probably not listening well either. This is part of what he, he's, he's saying. I, I'm using this because you were dead in your trespasses since you're alive in Christ now, but I've, I've got to deal with this, this weakness, this, this sin that's in your life. Uh, when we get to Ephesians, or when we get to Romans chapter 8, you know, there's a reality that Paul talks about there that ties back to this when he says that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. That's, that's, that's our weakness. It, as much as we might like to say, you know, I'm a slave to Christ now, and I'm going to do it all right, it's not going to happen. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to live uh, by grace. And we need to recognize that there's this struggle, this battle that's going on inside of us. So we want to remember that the righteousness of God, the, the whole theme of the book of Romans, the righteousness of God is revealed. You know, Paul says, I'm going to use, I'm going to speak humanly here because he's trying to help us to know. He's trying to reveal something. Um, and the righteousness of God is always something that is revealed and there's i think a great example of this in john chapter one and i'm gonna have to grab a bible here there there are some down here i left mine oh, thanks i left mine in my office but uh, uh if you want to grab a bible uh, there are some i don't know that there's enough for everybody but uh, uh yeah if you have your phone you hopefully you got a bible app on there But this is a fairly familiar passage, I think. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it or overcome it. If you go through this whole chapter, the images here are all about God making known, God revealing. So start out with, with the very first thing there. In the beginning was the word. word. There's a message that's being proclaimed. Now, interestingly, the message that's being proclaimed is actually God. It's the second person. We, we, we would identify that as the second person of the Trinity. Now, tangent. Does the word Trinity appear anywhere in the Bible? Nope. I got another one for you. Does it appear in the small catechism? Yes. No. 
It's not in the small catechism. Because Luther's just kind of more concerned that you know who God is. So he talks about the Father, talks about the Son, talks about the Spirit, but he doesn't get into the, you know, the jargon. You know, and that, that's what I would argue that the Bible is doing too. It's teaching us that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, that message is throughout the scriptures if you have eyes to see it. Um, however, I, I think a little bit more concerned that we believe in God through the Word, through that second, what we would call the second person of the Trinity, uh, whom we know to be Jesus. So you speak a word to communicate. God, in a sense, speaks his son to communicate who he is, to communicate what he's done, to reveal. It, it, keep going through it. Um, in, in verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of men, of humanity. Um, you know, if you were in darkness, all of a sudden, with light, you can see. It's, it's, it's a revelation. It's, it's making known. Uh, in verse 7, uh, it talks about how there was a, a man who was sent from God, and he came as a witness to testify. Why do witnesses testify? To make things known. Um, and, and then in verse 10, uh, it, it talks about uh, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And it actually ties back to verse 3 where it says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So there's this sense that, that he's the creator of all things. And, and maybe you ought to know this. And yet he's unknown. He has to be made known. And that's, that's what's going on is, as Jesus comes into the world, he comes to make himself and to make his father known. In verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. This idea that he comes and he dwells and he's seen actually goes back to the exodus um, so remember when Moses was leading the people of Israel out of Egypt after that last plague and they come to the Red Sea right mm -hmm. and it says that God is leading them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night remember this mm -hmm. have you ever heard the word Shekinah yeah. That that that's that's the Hebrew word for that the Shekinah the glory, um, and uh, it, it says at that point that uh, uh, that pillar went from in front of the Israelites to behind. It separated them from the Egyptians. God basically places Himself between the Egyptians and the Israelites. Parts of the Red Sea they 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 cross on dry land, and um, and then as they wander in the wilderness. That pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night is there through the whole thing. And eventually God gives instructions to Moses to build a tabernacle. A big fancy tent. And it, 
in that tent there's the altar where the sacrifices take place there is the ark of the covenant and uh and its mercy seat we've talked about that the place where you know god meets us in his mercy um and when that's all dedicated, that pillar of cloud and pillar of fire that was always kind of in the midst of the camp comes and it settles above the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And God gives instructions. All the tribes, these ones are here, these ones are here. All the tribes are to camp around the tabernacle because the image is that God lives in the midst of his people. So if you're reading Exodus and the people of Israel wonder, is God with us? What do they have to do? Look at the tabernacle. Is there a big pillar of cloud there? If it's nighttime, is my nightlight still there? <laughs> yep. Okay, God's with us. And, and that's what it is saying about Jesus here. Uh, the word became flesh and, and dwelt among us. That word in Greek is he tabernacled among us? He, he, you know, so you you got some Genesis language at the beginning. You got some Exodus language here, um, and the idea is, you know, how do we know God's with us? Well, look, Jesus, he's with us. And, and in, in verse seventeen, he continues. He says, "The law was given through Moses." So you know that story. Moses went up on the mountain. He gets the the commandments. You know has to do it twice because of the um, uh, golden calf uh, situation. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, but uh, he's the one who kind of brings the law. He receives it and he reveals it to the people. But then it goes on, it says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You know, or you could say that grace and truth are brought by Jesus Christ. He comes not to make the law known, but to make grace and truth known, to reveal that to us. And then the, uh, the, the pièce de résistance, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. It's all about this good news being revealed, the righteousness of God being revealed, being made known to us. And, and the weakness of our flesh, this, this sinful nature, it leaves us in a position that we struggle to trust God. We struggle to believe his promises and to receive his word. And so he comes to us in Christ, working through the Holy Spirit. This this all about you know, the, the the whole the whole program is about God making Himself known. This is the whole point of the incarnation. This is Christmas. You know, the Word becomes flesh. Jesus is born into the world. He hides His glory away because we could not approach God in His glory. And he comes to us in a way that is accessible. I'm speaking to you humanly. This is literally what Jesus does, what God does to us in Jesus. 
You know, this is at the heart of the sacraments for us. You know, when we think about the means of grace, you know, you, you've got the word of God. It's, it's all human speech. It's all human language. Um, you think about um, baptism. You know, here God has taken his word and he's connected it to water, to an earthly element. And in a sense, what he's doing is he's taking his word and he embodies it as a vehicle for you. So that, you know, well, are my sins forgiven? Well, were you baptized? As an objective activity, something happened in your life? Yeah. Okay. Or, or think about it in terms of the Lord's Supper. You've got God's word connected to and combined with, you know, the bread and the wine. And it then delivers Jesus' body and blood to us. The, the whole idea is that as the, the bread and the wine and the word come together, they deliver Jesus' forgiveness to you. They deliver Jesus to you, for you, so that you can know that your sins are forgiven, so that you can know the love of God, so that you can know you're reconciled to God. It's all about that, that big reveal of what God is doing for you and in you. You know, so you've heard me say it before and you'll hear me say it for the rest of my life. Do you want to know what forgiveness feels like? It's wet. <laughs> it's water poured on your forehead. With those words, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you want to know what forgiveness tastes like? Do you want to know what salvation tastes like? It tastes like flavorless bread and cheap wine. <laughs> and the more I think about the Lord's Supper, I actually start to think that it's important that it be flavorless bread and cheap wine. Because God hides himself in the most common things. And he dwells among the most common people. It doesn't have to be fancy. And he makes that super common, normal stuff holy and precious and amazing. And he does that in us too. So he, he, he's coming, he's revealing in ways, humanly speaking, so that we can take hold of, of what he's telling us. He's revealing himself. Uh, and so we move into 20 through 23. Um, it says, For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the, that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have, been, have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice um, the ends of verses uh, 21 and uh, 22, where it talks about the end of those things. On the one hand, the end, uh, the goal, uh, the thing that comes about is death. And the other one, it's eternal life. 
So what does this mean when it says, uh, as slaves to sin, we were free in regard, in regard to righteousness? What do you think? The first little bit. When you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Didn't exist. Okay. The righteousness. Okay, we didn't have it. All right. So you do whatever you want. Ah. Didn't have to worry about it. Yeah. Or you Whatever. Didn't. You didn't worry about it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Did you do righteousness when you were in your sin? Not on purpose. Huh. <laughs> Did you do mean to? <laughs> Accidents happen. Well, I like to point out that it's only the act of faith that is righteous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we learned that from a friend of ours. His name is Paul. Um, so, if you're in your sin, in a sense you are free to do what you want and what you want to do will be sin. dark. Yeah, it'll be dark. <laughs> it goes back to the, the very beginning. Right? You presented your members as slaves to impurity. Right. You didn't have a choice. It was right. your natural inclination. Yeah. So people will talk about, I'm free, I'm going to do what I want. Yep. And in a sense, that's true. You are free to do whatever you want. And what you are free to do and what you want to do is ultimately sin. So, um, and then he talks about the fruit that you were getting at that time uh, from the things of which you are now ashamed. What, what fruit? What do, what do people get from sin? We can do good works, but they're not righteous if they're not done. Okay. The glory of God, so you get your own pat on the back for doing the good works. Okay, good. Yeah, Jesus talks about that, right? You know, when you do your good works before others, you know, behold, you've gotten your reward. You were seen. Good on you. <laughs> what else? Self-gratification. Okay. You know... There's that, this phrase, I use it too, um, that, that's boring as sin. I don't know. I think sometimes sin is fun. For a moment. Right. And it doesn't lead to righteousness, and it doesn't lead to long-lasting good. So what ultimately is the fruit of sin? Death. Death. Yeah. yeah. Now, I do think it's interesting. He says, you know, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? There is an amazing passage in Jeremiah chapter 6 um, where God confronts the people of Israel through Jeremiah. I, I, Jeremiah had like the worst job. I think being a prophet would be awful. Um, at least I get to talk to you guys about forgiveness and you know, and, and we're kinda good on that. You know, he's he's basically constantly confronting them with their sin. And uh, and in this passage he's once again confronting them for idolatry and injustices and just all of the things that those lead to. And 
this is what God says to Isaiah or to Jeremiah. He says, "For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain, and from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, "Peace, peace," when there is no peace." Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. So, when he's looking at their situation, he's recognizing that his people don't even know how to blush. Do you think that could be said of our culture too? Mm-hmm. That we take more pride in our sin than we do in our righteousness? That we are more bold about you know our rights than we are about giving ourselves for the sake of Christ? You know, I think of some of the stories that sometimes, you know, I do this too, um, stories from high school, you know, they aren't always the good things. Now, those can be important lessons, you know, and talk about, you know, yeah, I did that and I was in deep trouble, so don't do that. Um, But I think a lot of times when we tell those stories from the past, we, in a, a way, we're glorying in our sins? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there is room for us when we are confronted with our sin to be ashamed. But what do you do with that shame then? Repent. Yeah. And you let Jesus take it and he gives you a reconciliation with God that has no shame. He talks about this in 1 Corinthians, that there's a forgiveness and a righteousness that leaves us with no shame. So, as sinners, are we hopefully going to experience shame over our sin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet, we've got this good news that's been proclaimed to us that washes that shame away. And, and leaves us you know, reconciled to God, it, which is what goes on right here in verse 22. He says, but now the situation has changed. A switch has taken place. Now we're free from sin, but slaves to God. Notice that in verse 20, we were free from God and therefore slaves to sin. And that bore a certain fruit. It bore death to us. But now, um, because of the switch that has taken place, the fruit that we receive is sanctification. Um, Sanctification is a word that, uh, it's another one of those theological terms that uh, gets thrown about. It's from the Latin sanctus, which means holy. And it's the process of becoming holy. And we understand sanctification in two ways. Uh, We understand it in a broad sense and in a narrow sense. 
This is this is theological language here. That's okay. Um, the uh, in the broad sense, sanctification, becoming holy, is the same thing as justification, being declared forgiven, having the righteousness of God. You, when, when God says your sins are forgiven, you are justified. holy. Yeah, you're justified. You know, and, and so in the broad sense, you know, when it, when it talks about your sanctification. You know, you are sanctified because God has declared you to be reconciled to himself. He declares you to be righteous. But in the narrow sense, we use this word sanctification to talk about holy living. This is all about making those choices and decisions that reflect God's law, that reflect his will. You know, this is doing the right thing in faith. So, when, when you look at the, the passage, uh, and, and it says, um, now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. When it says sanctification, what do you think? Broad sense, narrow sense? It's both. Yes. Both. Um, because in the narrow sense, holy living doesn't take place without the forgiveness part. It doesn't happen without the faith part. The world might look at the things you're doing and say, that's great, good job, well done. But anything that's not faith is sin. We're going to get to that. I think it's in Romans 12. Um, but the, this idea... When it says you're going to receive sanctification, it means you are going to receive the righteousness of God. And then that's going to change the way that you live in relationship to your neighbor. And that leads to a whole different end, a whole different goal, a different fulfillment than sin's goal and fulfillment. And the, the, the end of sanctification is what? Eternal life. You have eternal life. Not will have. You have it. It's yours right now. It, you know, it's, it's already begun. And you're living in it right now. And so Paul sums this whole section up with this passage that we probably all memorized at, at some point or another. You know, the wages of sin is, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Notice the, the juxtaposition of wages and gifts. Those are different things, right? Wages and gifts. When you get wages, it's because you did something. You earned it. You worked in some way to get that. But a gift is undeserved. You know, it, it's often given out of love. And he's saying that this is what's going on for you. When you were working in sin, death. But God gives you a gift, eternal life through Jesus. And so this is really, uh, this is really a matter of death and life. 
the Christian faith is a matter of death and life. You know, I remember talking with Wayne Koenig. Wayne, um, for those of you who don't know Wayne, was the pastor here immediately before me. Uh, he was a retired guy, great ministry. He had uh, lung disease. So he, he was going gangbusters out in Colorado, but he had to get closer to sea level. So he came to the paradise we call Ohio. <laughs> um, and, and, and he served here. And I remember talking with him um, about my brother in the army. And I was like, man, so much of what he does is a matter of, of, of life and death. And, and he says, well, so, so is what you do. And as I, I thought about that, I, I said to myself, it's not so much a matter of life and death as it is a matter of death and death life because in our sins all we get is death but we've been given the good news that brings life and that has always been the program the Christian faith has always been a matter of death and life so go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 30 so so far we've hit Genesis and Exodus um, but basically, in Genesis, you've got the creation, and you end up with uh, the, the Israelites in Egypt. Exodus is the account of them coming out, and they're starting to wander in the promised land. Uh, Leviticus and Numbers, there's a lot of law things that go on in there, um, uh, but there's also some history that explains what happened you know, while they were wandering in the wilderness and how they were living and learning to live in this relationship with God. And then Deuteronomy uh, wraps it all up uh, with a second giving of God's law. Deutero Deuteronomy, Deuteronomos, literally means a second law. Um, and, uh, and this is actually Moses' farewell sermon. It's like, I don't know, 40 chapters or something like that. I went a little long today. Just keep that in mind. Um, and there's this beautiful passage in there to, it, where he, he talks about what his whole purpose is as he's sharing God's word with the people. And he says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, then I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will die. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land of the Lord, swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to them. Grab that line in verse 20 when it says, holding fast to him. It's faith. 
you know, loving the Lord your God, that doesn't happen until you've been loved by him. Obedience to his voice is all about trusting his word, trusting his promises. And then we hold fast to him because he is our life. And so, even in the Christian faith, this is a matter of death and life. And we get to proclaim life. All right, anything, uh, anything else on Romans 6? You may be shocked, but next week we'll be in Romans 7. We are just flying through this book. We can fly at different speeds. Yeah, that, that, but not at the speed we're going. <laughs> All right, let's pray. And uh, if you're going to church, well, fear not. Uh, but uh, it's, it's not going to be as long as early service. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you uh, for the opportunity to study your word, for the opportunity to engage, be engaged by your sacraments. Uh, for those of us who are at the early service, we saw little Connor get baptized, and we thank and praise you for the, that joy of that reminder that it, it, you've given us that gift as well. And, uh, and every week we gather around your word and bread and wine to receive Jesus' body and blood, and we thank and praise you for that as well. And we pray, Lord, that as you work through your word and the sacraments, that you would surely reveal who you are, reveal your love and, and your forgiveness to us, that we would walk in a way that leads to sanctification in its broad and narrow sense and leads to everlasting life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, folks. Thank you.